I ask you this evening to turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and tonight we're looking at verse 6 of this chapter. We've looked at the previous verses uh, over the last weeks, and tonight we're coming to verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Following through with this great prayer of Jesus, as we come to him now, a new section begins in verse 6, and that section has to do with prayer for the disciples and for the church of that particular time, and that takes us down to verse 19, because from verse 20, you'll see again there's a, 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 another um, reference there beyond the immediate time of Jesus himself, um, and that's going to take in the, the whole of the church from that time onwards to through to the end of time, really. Um, although we're saying that, uh, there's a very real sense in which what you have in verses 6 to 19 is also relevant to us, as much as it was to the church of Christ's own time and of the apostles especially. And uh, as, as we come through that, we'll see that there's so much in it, we, we are taking our time deliberately through it, um, but one of the things that comes across tonight from this verse is something we've mentioned previously as well, but it's very obvious in this version. That is the security, the eternal security that's in our salvation, that is in Christ himself and us in Christ having that security. So the verse again is, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Used they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So there's first of all there an emphasis by Jesus on a manifestation. And manifestation, the word manifested, really means something to be unfolded that was uh, needing to be revealed, brought out into the open. That's the kind of idea behind the word manifested there. I have manifested your name. Jesus is saying to the Father that he has actually, since he came into the world, he has been in the business of opening up the name of the Father, the name of God to uh, be revealed to those that he has ministered to. And uh, if you cast your mind back to chapter one, I know we've mentioned this verse a lot of times, but it's such an interesting and important verse, chapter one and verse 18, um, where uh, we find no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, or in the older translation, the only begotten who is in the Father's bosom has made him known. And the idea there is that Jesus, as the one who, who in himself has revealed God and came into the world to reveal God, to make the name of God manifest, to open it up to view, as it were. Well, what he's telling us here is that um, it is from the very heart of God that that revelation has come, who was in the Father's bosom or at the Father's side, as, the, as, the John, as John begins the gospel, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. Uh, there's the closest possible eternal and personal relationship between the Father and the Son from all eternity as God, as the persons of the Godhead. And it really takes us back here when you uh, think about manifesting the name of God to the people where Jesus is saying this. It takes our minds back to the Old Testament. It takes us back to the likes of Exodus chapter 3 and verses 14 to 15. Well, you remember, uh, we read as follows. Then Moses said to God, uh, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. 
and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, this, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, this, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now, when uh, we read in that passage, um, what is your name? That the people where Moses was saying, if they ask me, what is his name? The meaning of that really, that word what is important. It's not just um, asking what sort of label, what sort of title will we give to God? Uh, what is the name in that sense? It really means what's the content of his name? What does his name actually signify? What is going to be revealed through his name? There's that element of, of content that you find also coming through here in uh, John 17, verse 6. I have manifested. I have taken the content, Jesus is saying, of your name, Father, and I have manifested that. I have revealed that. In other words, the name of God as it stands for his character and through the redemptive work of Jesus and in the person of Jesus, that very character, the inner being of God, as God has chosen to reveal as much as he has to us, it is especially in Christ that that has come to be seen, to be manifested, to be made clear to us. So every time you look at Jesus, and as you read about Jesus in the Gospels or anywhere else in the Bible, what you're actually seeing is something of the heart of God, something of uh, what uh, is true of God's character, something that makes him to be God, uh, something of the content of his name. And the name of God, of course, includes all of that. Um, but the tense that's used here is um, what people who know grammar tell us is uh, a complete tense. It's something that uh, indicates completeness. When he says, I have manifested, he's really saying, I've done this completely. There's nothing needs to be added to it. Nothing is lacking from what I've done. It is a complete manifestation. Now, you remember Jesus has spoken of, especially in Revelation, the book of Revelation, as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Uh, Revelation 22, verse 12 is one of those verses. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And as you know, Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet in which the New Testament was written. And really, essentially, what you understand from that is that in Jesus, God's redemptive alphabet, if you like, has been set out before us. There is nothing of redemption that is not connected to Jesus. Jesus is actually at the very heart of God's redemptive acts. Jesus is at the heart of before the time began of God's plan of salvation. We'll see that when we come to uh, those that uh, were given to Christ in the sense in which that's to be taken. But what he's saying here is that as the revelation of God, as God is brought to us in Christ, here is the Alpha and Omega. Everything redemptive involves him. And if you think of anything to do with your salvation, you will never find anything of your salvation that's not in some way or other vitally connected to Christ connected to the Son, 
connected to the work of Christ. Even the work of the Holy Spirit is connected to the work that Christ has accomplished in his atoning death and in his resurrection from the dead. So that's why he's saying here, I have manifested. I manifested your name. I unfolded. I revealed your name, your character as the redeeming God. I have done this, he's saying to the Father. And that really involves three things, just briefly, in relation to that itself. There is, first of all, a finality about Jesus. He is God's last word to the world, to us sinners. He is God's last but greatest word. It doesn't mean that this written word uh, is less reliable. Um, but what it means is that in Jesus, God has really spoken his final and last word to us because even the epistles after Jesus went back to heaven, they're all about him. He's central to them all as well. But in his own person, what has been revealed in Christ is indeed such a last word. There's a finality about it. If you go back to chapter 15, um, verses 22 to 24, uh, Jesus here is uh, talking about the world and the way the world is going to hate the disciples the resistance, the challenge, hatred, indeed, he says, of the world. Um, he says, remember, a master, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And then he says this, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Now, Jesus, it doesn't mean there when he says they would not be guilty of sin. Um, he, he doesn't mean that uh, there would have been no sin actually in people if he hadn't come into the world. Or that those people who are listening to him now then would not have been sinners if Jesus hadn't come with this manifestation of God. What is really saying, essentially, is because of what has happened in Jesus, because of what has come into the world in Christ, because of the unfolding of God's character and name in Jesus, no one has an excuse or a pretext for rejecting God. Because the greatest thing that could have happened has already happened. The Son of God has come. He has taken our nature. He has died the death of the cross. He has risen from the dead. He is exalt, has been exalted to glory. He is sitting at God's right hand, ready to come to judge the world on the last day. And what John is saying, how Jesus was saying there in John 15, is there is no um, pretext. There's no excuse. There's no valid reason why there should be a rejection of God after everything that has been revealed in Jesus and about him in the Bible. So there is that finality about Jesus in terms of God and God's name being manifested. Secondly, the faithfulness of Jesus himself. Psalm 22 is a psalm we often sing, especially at communion time, and we do really miss communion, and uh, we do pray that uh, the situation will change um, so that not too far into this year, we hope we might be able to have a communion and be able to gather together in a proper, safe way to enjoy and partake of the Lord's Supper. 
But remember, as we sing that psalm, we tend to focus on those that speak more specifically of um, the sufferings of Jesus. Um, but uh, in verses 22 uh, and verse 22 of Psalm 22, um, we have, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Now, that's these are words that are put in the mouth of the Messiah as a prophecy of Jesus or about Jesus. I will tell your name to my brothers, he's saying. And you can link that with Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 13, which begins by speaking of God the Father uh, bringing many sons to glory and how fitting it was that he should make the founder of their salvation. That's um, God the Son in terms of his uh, foundational work of redemption on the cross. He says it was fitting that he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one, or all have one source, as the ESV has it. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. So you find there joined together an emphasis on the way in which the faithfulness of Jesus is involved in revealing the name of God, the character of God, as well as providing, of course, our redemption in doing that. And the faithfulness of Jesus is evident in this very verse. I have manifested your name. It takes perfect faithfulness to do that consistently. And that's what Jesus did. I manifested I, in a complete sense, in a way that needs not to be added to, in a way that you can't take from what's been done. And that's why you find that he is not just a final, uh, has a finality to a revelation, but there's the faithfulness of Jesus himself in that. And I think thirdly as well, we could say that, although it's maybe not as obvious, um, that there is a deity, there is deity involved in what he's saying here. Um, I have manifested, I've revealed your name. And the reason I'm saying that is that the ability of Jesus to reveal the name of God is itself an indicator that he is God. After all, who can reveal God, in terms of the content of his name, the meaning of his name, his redemptive purpose, who can reveal God but God himself? All the way through the Bible, you have an emphasis on the fact that it is God revealing himself who is acting in all these great works of redemption. And if you find somebody coming like Jesus to say, I have revealed your name to the people, well, that surely is an indicator that he himself is God. That he himself has the ability and the capacity and the, and the facility of revealing God to us. I'm not revealing God to you in preaching the gospel. I'm seeking to expound what's already been revealed. The revealed will of God in the scriptures, in the gospel. But I could not stand here and say, now just hold on for five minutes and I'll reveal something more to you of God. That's already complete. In his word. That's why we find uh, such a problem with people who say, yes, we believe the Bible is the word of God, but God spoke to me this morning, and here is what he told me, and this is a revelation from God, and it's equally valid to what you find in the Bible. It can't be. 
because it's made clear that Jesus is the complete final revelation of God. Now, of course, when Jesus comes again, there'll be an additional element to uh, what is revealed of God because he'll be then seen in his glory visibly as we cannot see him just now. But what we're saying is that this ability that Jesus had, the uh, authority to say such a thing, I have manifested your name to the people. There's an indication that we have a savior who is himself divine and not just an appointee of God, but the very God, God himself. So there's a manifestation there in terms of the name of God, the character of God, that's in Jesus being revealed and was revealed, manifested in him. And that has a finality and has a faithfulness and an ability built into it. But secondly, this manifestation is a manifestation to God's people. See what he's saying? I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Now, what does he mean by this? Why does he say they were yours to the Father and you gave them to me? Well, there's a number of ways in which we actually have to take that. In what sense were they the Father's people and then became the Son's people? Well, there is an order appointed by God himself in all, from all eternity in the working out of redemption. And it's important always that we attribute as the Bible or note the way the Bible attributes certain things to certain persons, to each person of the Godhead. And when you find God's chosen people being chosen from all eternity, it is specifically an act of the Father, the Father himself who chooses, who elects his people. Uh, Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There too is something complete. That's already happened. He has blessed his people in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That blessing is ours now. However much of it we have still to receive between now and on into eternity, but it's ours already in its completeness in Christ. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, you notice what's happening there. Blessed be the Father who chose us from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, but it's chose us in him. The choosing by the Father was done in the Son. They were given to the Son as people, if you like, initiated by the Father in his election but equally so given to the Son to be their mediator, to be their savior, to be their redeemer. And so they are given to, to Jesus or elected in Jesus in eternity before the world ever existed. And you have to look at that as the background to when he's, what he says here, yours they were and you gave them to me. But that doesn't complete the whole sense of these words. They were given to Jesus as their surety, or if, if you like, as their security. He is their surety. He is their security. And it's interesting if you go back in John, again to chapter 6, um, and you'll find in verses 
uh, in verse 37 there, uh, John 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And that, that uh, verse, as it's divided into two parts, very closely connected parts, but you notice what it's saying. He doesn't say, whoever the Father gives will come to me. He says, all that the Father gives. In other words, he's taking the complete whole of God's elect people, elect in Christ by the Father from all eternity. And here Jesus is saying, all, all of that, all of that whole who are given to me will come to me. Then he says, uh, but whoever, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You see, that's now coming to emphasize the individual coming to Jesus. They come because they belong to the whole people who were elected in him before time, but they come to him in time as individuals. We did not come to Jesus all at once, all of us together. We came individually, but we were chosen collectively together in Christ. What a wonderful, marvelous salvation. Uh, what a, uh, an amazing but wonderful mystery that, that is, mystery of God electing his people in Christ, and then in time, them coming to Christ. You see, the Father is involved in that as well, very interestingly, because election leads to being drawn to Jesus. And while we know that the Holy Spirit brings us to a knowledge of God and works in our hearts to bring uh, us to life spiritually, um, remember too in that same chapter 6 of John and verse 44, he says, Don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him. And if you take these two verses, uh, 37 and 44, there you have, as, as it were, the complete package. All that the Father has given to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. It's the Father's drawing power through the Spirit. How often do we think of that? We think of the Spirit very rightly as drawing our hearts and working faith in us. But the Father is involved in that because these are his children that he has given to Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, he is also involved mysteriously in drawing them to the Son. That's what Jesus himself said. And you know, when Jesus said in, in chapter 6 there, uh, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We often perhaps think of these words as a person coming to Jesus and not being refused entry, if you like. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast away. I will not uh, refuse to have him. But that's actually not uh, the, the meaning of the words, although that um, may well be included. The meaning is, whoever comes to me, I will most certainly keep him. I will most certainly be his security, you might say. When it says, I will never cast out, or I will in no wise cast out, it's a form of language 
that really means very positively, I most certainly will keep him secure. That's what it really means. Whoever comes to me, I will most certainly keep secure. Now, doesn't that actually mean that tonight, you and I and all those who are saved in Christ, who know Christ as our Savior, have an incredible security. It's not just a double lock, you could say it's a triple lock. It's election and eternity. It's been drawn to Christ in time in a way that he will certainly look after us. And it's having the Holy Spirit within us forevermore. There is the security that you and I have. There is nothing and nowhere as secure as being in Christ. You can't find an adequate illustration of it, I don't think. There's nothing in this world that is ultimately and completely secure. No bank, uh, no uh, other form of security. But there is here. This will never fail. Being in Christ. Doubly, indeed, triply secure. And what do we make of all of that? Well, in applying that, doesn't it show how precious we are to God? Doesn't it show how precious we are to God? Did you think I was going to say how precious God is to us? Well, I'm going to say that too, but I'm saying this first. Doesn't it show how precious we are to God? Must it not be that God's people are unspeakably precious to him if this is what was actually taken by him a step towards their salvation? If in providing such security as is in our eternal life, it actually included the Father's authoritative, um, eternal choosing of them and choosing them in Christ the Son, and Christ the Son coming into the world, and then being given, having been given to him, carrying them in this world, as it were, into all his work, including his death and resurrection, and back onwards to glory. See, that's why it's actually saying here, use they were and you gave them to me, uh, those whom you gave me out of the world. Uh, so they were given to him in eternity, they were given to, in a sense, to out of the world as they came out of the world that they belonged to, as you and I did, being drawn by the Father and come to Christ and given to him in that sense as well. How precious we are to God. You know, we should really dwell, I especially should dwell more often on that thought because it's only as you come to appreciate increasingly how precious God's people are to him, that we will then come to add something more to how precious he is to us. The more you realize how precious you are to God, that he would do all this for your redemption, the effect of that surely in your heart and mind is to say, how can I not love him more? How can I not have him? More precious than he is to me. Precious beyond words. And he finishes by saying, and they have kept your word. Well, the outcome of that uh, manifestation of God's name on the part of the Son is they have kept 
your word. They have come to accept us. The following verses, and we'll see them when we come to them, um, God willing, um, we'll see that he expands on this uh, in verses uh, 7 and 8 especially. Um, now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know the truth. And I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. They have received, they have kept your word. In other words, the revelation that came to them in me, they have received it, they have identified with it, they have kept it. And therefore, I am now praying for them. So there is, in one verse, a wonderful from eternity to eternity type of, of study, if you like, from God's people being chosen by him. Jesus coming into the world to manifest the name of God to them. And them actually having the security that they do indeed have in Christ. I trust that God um, will bless this uh, verse to us this evening. And that he will give us a greater certainty and assurance about our security, which at times we need. And as we say, there is one place that you find it so wonderfully set out that we are secure forever in Christ. Now, we're going to finish with a singing. Now, uh, as you know, we're not allowed to sing um, in the building here, but for the benefit of those at home, um, I'll, I'll uh, read a singing of Psalm 22. And if you, can, if you want to follow them, it's Psalm 22, verses 22 to, to 26. Now to my brothers, I'll declare the praises of your glorious name. Within their gathering, I will stand and your renown I will proclaim. Now to my brothers I'll declare the praises of your glorious name within their gathering I will stand and your renown I will proclaim. Praise him, all you that fear the Lord. Give honor to him, Jacob's race. All Israel's children worship him, bow down with all before his faith. He has not scorned the suffering which on the afflicted one is laid. He did not hide his face from him, but listened to his cry for aid. You are the theme of all my praise within the great 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen. Uh, just a reminder, 